Dora's Dime Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And today's topic is, what is the apostolic? Now, let me start off by giving a clarification. I in no way set myself up as the expert in this subject. But recently, I find myself in conversations around this topic. And so I definitely have a few thoughts that I have I've had around what the apostolic is. And so I thought I would take this week's episode to unpack a few of those thoughts around this topic. It seems to be a popular topic these days. Everyone you meet seems to be an apostle. <laughs> so I just thought maybe we could talk about it. I wanted to start, though, by talking about, at least in my opinion, what is, what is not the apostolic or uh, there are certain things that seem to be used as a measuring stick to what the apostolic looks like. And maybe I want to start off with just challenging a few of those notions before we really jump into what does it mean to be apostolic. Okay, the first thing is, uh, I've, I've heard it said that the apostolic is um, typically characterized by someone who's very driven. Uh, so therefore, anyone who's highly driven is labeled apostolic or is labeled an apostle because they have a really great work ethic. Now, it's funny that I'm using drivenness to say what is uh, apostolic not, and let me just clarify before I really get into what I mean by that. I'm not suggesting that apostolic people are lazy or they have no ambition or that they don't work. <laughs> but what I'm saying is they don't point to their work ethic as their validation for who they are and the way God's gifted them. And just because someone's hyper-driven doesn't mean they're apostolic. It may mean they're super insecure. So let's not misjudge uh, insecurity and a lack of revelation in who we really are in Christ as the blanket indicator of what it means to be apostolic. I love what Paul says, Paul the Apostle, who is an apostle, thus we know, out of first, uh, something he wrote in 1 Corinthians. 15, he said, um, he's talking about being the least of all the apostles, and then he makes this statement, he said, but I worked harder than all of them. He said, but not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And I just find that phrase fascinating. Paul, the grace apostle, says he outworked all the other guys, but he didn't chalk it up to his great work ethic he chalked it up to the power of the grace of God within him that was at work in him and through him. And I find that, the, that people that know where their source of power and life come from don't build themselves up to prove something, yet they can model a great work ethic from the right source, which is Christ in them, the hope of glory. Paul said another way in Colossians, he said, I struggle with all of his energy, which works so powerfully within me. 
Paul knew his source. And I would even argue that that is one of the keys of the apostolic is they know their source. They know from whom they live, move, and have their being. It's a key indicator of someone who's laying a foundation in a community that doesn't know who Jesus is. Second bullet point on my notes here of what it does not mean to be apostolic is big, charismatic personality. <laughs> a lot of times we think the person on the stage who has the most charismatic personality and speaking gift automatically is the apostolic gift in that local community. Now let me say, it could be, that could be the case, that the person up front is the apostolic gifting. And they may have a charismatic personality, so no way am I demeaning that. What I'm saying is just because someone has a big personality and is a great communicator, that does not equal they have an apostolic gifting. They may have a communication gift. They may have a teaching gift. That's not bad. That's a good thing. But what happens is people that, that are apostolically gifted but don't see themselves leading from a stage can end up downgrading their gifting because they don't see themselves in that role. They see themselves as someone more behind the scenes, someone more leading from the back, having more influence than they do notoriety. And I would actually argue that that is a more true representation of the apostolic. If we're a foundation, if someone who is apostolic is a foundation, then they are more felt and less seen and heard. And we'll get into that in a moment. Don't want to steal my own thunder here. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 2, where Paul comes on the scene. And actually, if we to know the context, so he's... Acts 17, he's, he gives what most theologians say is his most brilliant sermon, the one where he's, um, he says, in him we live, move, and have our being. We are his offspring. And it says later on in Acts 17 that not, mu not many believed. He didn't see a ton of fruit, even though his sermon was amazing. And so in, going into Acts 18, he's going into Corinth. And, and we realize in 1 Corinthians 2 that when that as Paul is leaving Athens, going into Corinth, that his mindset is changing. Something is shifting in his perception of what it means to be a foundation layer. Because he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, he says when I was among you, and in my mind, he's... he's um, He's laying that against when he was among the Athenians. He's saying, when I was among you, Corinthians, I reasoned or I reckoned to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Versus when he was with the Athenians and he was trying to contextualize his message with the statue of the unknown God here's the God you've always been, that you've been worshiping, you didn't know who he was, I'll tell you who he was. And he crafts this brilliant um, articulation of the gospel, which is awesome. I, I'm not against that at all. But, but Paul was catching something. And here's what he goes on to say. I reason to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Because I didn't want your faith to rest on my wisdom, but on God's power. I didn't want your faith to rest on wise and persuasive words, but on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He also says in Galatians 5, I think it's verse 8, he says, the one who calls you does not use that kind of persuasion. And, and in context, it's that persuasion of the law to get you to, to trust in circumcision, the outward observances or the, the obeying of the law versus Christ and who he is and what he's done. He, he was saying, do not be hoodwinked by the persuasion of the law. But it's not just that persuasion, it's also the persuasion of articulation, which is more of what we probably face in our context in the U.S. is if you look at the big picture of church in America, there's this, what they call these vibrant churches, growing churches. And again, please hear my heart. I am not against this, but I just want us to think about stuff that maybe we don't think about. When you look at what works or what or what the the how to books say works they talk about uh, in our communication that it's there's there's something to a persuasive communication simple persuasive communication to get people moving along a path of discipleship so that we are making disciples and reproducing the life of Christ in the congregation and hopefully in Jesus name through the congregation to people that are not yet a part of our community. Wonderful heart, great vision. Here's the challenge. That's exactly what Paul tried to do in Acts 17. And it's why, why when he comes to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, something has changed and he's realizing I'm not going to trust my persuasive words. In fact, if the Spirit doesn't demonstrate the life of Christ in my simple articulation of who Jesus is and what he's done, then no amount of persuasion is going to win the day. I need to trust the power of the Spirit, not the power of my persuasion. Food for thought. The final thing of what the apostolic is not. The apostolic is not a carbon copy and I think at times when you look across the body of Christ and who just different, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but just, you know, more well-known Christian leaders in the body of Christ, when they start labeling this person and that person as apostolic and, and you listen to all these guys talk and they sound exactly the same and they're all the same ethnicity and they all kind of have a similar personality. Just to be honest, that's a big flag on the play for me. It doesn't mean they're not apostolic. So again, hear my heart. That's not what I'm saying. But it's severely suspect because there's got to be more diversity within that gifting than a hyper-charismatic personality who's very driven and looks like an athlete. And I think you, you get what I'm saying. We've got to realize that if you look at the biblical apostles, just let's take Paul, Peter, and John. I mean, these are very different guys. Read their letters. Paul is like this brilliant 
brainiac whose theology is super detailed, really um, weighty in his letters. Uh, then you got Peter, who we don't hear a ton from. We see his life in the in the gospel accounts, and his life is kind of like he's a hothead who finds himself in trouble. And even in his, I think it's Second Peter, he references Paul, and he says something like, uh, "Not everything that Paul writes is understandable, but you should listen to him because he's got something going on." So, so Peter's not quite firing on a, on the same wavelength as Paul. Uh, yet he's apostolic. And then you got John, who you read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You read the book of John. You read the book of Revelation. I mean, this guy is like a poet. He uses metaphors. He, he, he's different than all the other gospel writers. He talks more about living in Christ and, and uh, the, the Christ life in his letters and He's just a different guy. He's kind of almost, in some circles today, he almost seems prophetic. I use a lot of, I mean, the, the book of Revelation, my goodness, it's got tons of symbols and all this stuff. And and yet he's the Apostle John. And so, so you see just in those three biblical examples, it seems like these guys have different personalities in the way they write. Um, and so I think there's something to diversity within the apostolic that that sometimes we miss um, when we all look at just a few key people that have a lot of following, have a big following among Christians, which, um, you know, the apostolic often is establishing a new work among non-Christians. So actually famous apostles is kind of an oxymoron <laughs> because... Uh, non-Christians don't try to make famous uh, leaders that are influencing them. They often resist or ask questions or just think you're kind of peculiar and odd. But um, anyway, more food for thought. So what is the apostolic? Here's just a few thoughts. Um, and, and I've kind of referenced in my what is it not already, but I'm going to clarify as we go here what it is. Um, so literally the word apostle just means sent one. So if you think uh, an apostle is someone who's sent from one place to another, uh, that can be, you could take that through the grid of I'm sent from this city in this country to this city in this country. Um, you could take it uh, that from I'm sent from heaven uh, to earth. Jesus, the The word actually comes from, uh, I believe it's a Roman term. Um, I, I got this from a guy named Chris Valentin. Uh, he was talking about some of this topic a few years ago, and he talked about the, the word apostle is actually a Roman term, and it was a general who actually would come behind the Roman army with philosophers and teachers and um, artists from Rome and they would come and they would enculturate the people that had just been conquered and it's where we get that term or, or what they did produce this phrase when in Rome do as the Romans 
Because what happened is they would come in and what, what Rome was realizing is they would conquer these people and then they would move on. And what would happen is people would rebuild their culture and they would lose what they had just conquered. So what they started doing is sending an apostle and his team in off the back of this conquering uh, this this victory in battle, and the apostle and his team would come in, and they would enculturate the people to the Roman culture. So if you think about it, so what's Jesus saying? He's using a secular term to describe his leaders and saying, listen, 12, you are going to go in, and as people begin to realize who God is, who I am, you're going to begin to allow the culture of heaven to permeate that people. You're going to teach them my ways. That's why Jesus gives us this commission to go make disciples, teaching them the culture of heaven, the nature of God. So that's, that's where the word comes from. That's what the word means. If you look in Scripture, 1 Corinthians, I I believe it's chapter 3 verse 10 Paul says that he was an expert builder who laid a foundation that someone else was able to come behind him and build upon it and then he clarifies that foundation that was laid was Christ it's the only foundation that can be laid so he clarifies that so an apostle is a foundation layer. And by foundation, what I mean is he's coming in to a new group of people. He's teaching them who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what's now possible because of that in their own lives. He's bringing them to the point of faith. They confess, I believe, I trust. Faith explodes in their hearts and minds. They recognize they are now... Um, a new creation because of what Jesus has done. They, their faith is in Christ and not in themselves. And that new community starts getting formed. And the apostle then lays a foundation and a pattern for life that they can then replicate among one another and outside the group. And that apostle is not needed because the foundation is trusting the Holy Spirit to establish them. And it's a simple pattern of living and walking with God that can easily be trained and equipped to others days after, if not hours after they've been equipped themselves. So an apostle reveals Jesus and what he did. He reorients people to their true identity in Jesus. He sets a pattern for life in which people aren't required to work for it, but they work from what Jesus has accomplished. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, Brothers, when I was among you, you not only obeyed in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So in Paul's mind, what he saw was, I'm going to lay a foundation of Christ and Him crucified, what it means to live in God now, and how that expresses itself in your community. And then he said this, it's going to increase when I leave. Because he said, 
Not only have you been in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So his expectation of the Holy Spirit was to expand and increase what he deposited. And then he says this, and you need to work out your salvation. That's not work for your salvation, but you need to work it out. Because people are going to come in and try to get you back under the law. That's the Galatian bewitchment. They're going to try to get you to trust your yourself again. They're going to try to get you to add the law to what to what Christ has done, and you need to work it out because I won't be there. You need to work out what has he done. The Holy Spirit will teach you. He will guide you into all truth. That's why 1 John says you don't need anyone to teach you. You have the anointing, the anointed one, Christ himself. He's teaching you in uh, personally uh, as a community. He's doing that. So an apostle is a foundation layer. Uh, Not only are they a foundation layer, they are a foundation period in people's lives. So Ephesians 2, Paul says, apostles and prophets are foundations. So if you think about it, when someone comes to your house, no one asks to see your foundation. No one comes in and says, can I see the foundation of your home? But when they come into your home, everyone feels the effect of the foundation. Everyone can tell a strong foundation has been laid because the house is built well. Same with an apostle. He comes in, lays a foundation, but then relationally remains a foundation as he mentors the leaders, the emerging leaders in that group. So apostles look for ways to launch other people into their destiny. They don't look to rally people to their thing. Apostles are not rooftops. They do not keep everything in. They launch everything out. They launch people into their destiny, whatever sphere of society, with an understanding of their foundation, of their identity in Christ, with simple reproducible ways to to make disciples through the power of God's grace wherever, what in whatever field that person has been given. So they launch you into your calling. They don't rally you to their calling. They lead from the bottom. Not necessarily from up front, but again, it could be from up front. Another interesting thing about the apostolic is often in their lifetime, they're misunderstood. It's funny to read 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. I'll just read this real quick. Verse 9 through 17, Paul says this, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated. We are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth. That's a nice picture. The refuse of the world. And then he goes on to say, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. 
Even though you have 10,000 guardians or teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So what do we see about the apostolic? The apostolic is a father or a mother. And I love that picture uh, of fathering because it shows the, the, the government of heaven is family, not, not organization. It's, it's family. It's organic, not, organiz not organized, but organic, and it's an organism. There is organization within it, but it's a natural organization. And notice he says, I urge you to imitate me. Now think about this. Paul, an apostle, a father, a foundation layer, and a foundation to launch the Corinthians into their calling does not require them to listen to him. He doesn't pull rank on them because that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. Remember Jesus said, don't lord authority over people but serve them. But what does he do? He appeals to them. I urge you. He's appealing. Guys, I, if, if I'm anything to you, I'm a father. Please listen and remember my way of life. Not, what I, not just what I said, but my way of life in Christ. Not my way of life in self, but my way of life in Christ, the grace of God motivating me, giving me passion and purpose to release God's kingdom to you through Jesus, who, which is Jesus, the manifestation of Christ in his people. It's the kingdom of God. So we see that the apostolic is a father. They're raising up sons and daughters. They set up the, the family DNA in the community. Obviously, there must be depth of relationship to, to have this kind of language that he's using. Uh, hopefully, fathers have your best in mind. It's not always comfortable, but it's coming from the place of they care about you, not about what's best for them. Also notice he, he uses language of you're the children, I'm the father. So he's not looking, and, and if you keep reading in uh, the letters to the Corinthians, he says he didn't take his apostolic rights to receive income from them, but he provided for his own needs. Apostolic, um, one way that it can express, it's not the only way, but it seems to be a consistent way in the New Testament, is um, this kind of bivocational where, where we work to provide for our needs and yet we minister to you in the midst of our work as well. Uh, you also do see uh, apostolic people getting provided for from the community. So it is both, and I want to be clear on that. Also, if you look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul references himself as... Um, he says, so men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and, of, uh, and as those entrusted with the, the secret things of God. In other words, he sees himself as a servant, not as a, as a CEO, but as a servant. So he's a guide, not a master. 
And then another thing we see about the apostolic, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, talks about miracles, miracles marking his life and his impartation of faith. Uh, some, one of the things that he carried was imparting faith for the miraculous. So we can, and the truth is we can all walk in miracles, but sometimes apostles are the ones who impart the faith for miracles. So these are just a few thoughts of what the apostolic is, what the apostolic isn't. It's not by any stretch of the imagination comprehensive, but hopefully it just gets you thinking. And I would encourage you to search the scriptures for yourself. What do you see? What are you discovering? What is God showing you? And from there, just let him begin to unpack more and more what it means, to, uh, what the role of the apostolic is today. So Father, I thank you. Uh, for all of us having a, a an acceleration in our in our revelation of what it means to to see an apostolic awakening that foundation layer to know who we are in Christ and how to live in Christ and how to serve in Christ and it, to all be motivated out of the love of God out of the grace of God not by the sweat of our own effort father i thank you for for an apostolic authority to to pioneer and to see the expansion of your kingdom into all nations and all spheres of society. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a new request for the listeners this week. Uh, one of the things I'd like you to do is send me any questions that you have that I could address on future podcasts. Uh, and no question at this point is outside the boundaries. So you can email your questions to jadora, that's D-O-R-R-O-H, at gmail.com. And in the subject line of your email, just write podcast question. And I'm going to be filtering through those and using that as a launching pad for future topics for the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes, and iTunes will suggest this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care. Mm -hmm.